page 700 and 700. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, Why bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man from among them, and make him their watchman? He sees the sword coming upon the land, and blows the trumpet, and warns the people. Then, if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, and did not take warning, his blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming, and does not blow the trumpet, so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hands. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your souls. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his ways and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And you, son of man, say to your people, the righteous of the right, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness and the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered, but in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, yet if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back, and he has gives back what he has taken by robbery, and walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. If he has done what is just and right, he shall surely live. Yet your people say, the way of the Lord is not just, when it is their own way that it is not just. When the righteous turns, when the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by this. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just, O house of Israel. I will judge each of you according to his ways. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been struck down. <coughs> now, the hand of the Lord had been upon me at the evening before the fugitive came. And he had opened my mouth by the time the man came to me in the morning. So my mouth was opened, and I was no longer mute. The word of the Lord came to me. 
inhabitants from these waste places in the land of Israel keep saying, Abraham is only one man, yet he got possession of the land, but we are many, and the land is surely given to us to possess. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat flesh with the blood and lift up your eyes to your idols and shed blood. Shall you then possess the land? You rely on the sword, you commit abominations, and each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Shall you then possess the land? Say this to them. Thus says the Lord God, As I live, surely those who are in the waste places shall fall by the sword, and whoever is in the open field I will give to the beasts to be devoured, and those who are in strongholds and in caves shall die by pestilence. And I will make the land a desolation and a waste, and her pride might shall come to an end, and the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that the land will pass through. Then they will know that I am the Lord, when I have made the land a desolation and a waste because of all their abominations that they have committed. As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word, what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice, and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes, and come it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. passage, a uh, tough passage, thank you for reading it all for us. Um, as Kruger mentioned, there's kind of this aspect where there's the details and there's the big picture, and I think you might be relieved to hear I'm not going to talk you through every single verse that you've just read, but each of the three sections, they hang together and they're significant to each of them, so, so let's get into it. This is our eighth week in the book of Ezekiel, and we've reached, in many ways, the turning point of the whole book. You might have spotted it. It's actually towards the end of our passage, it's verse 21. And the city, that's Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, has been struck down. Read it for us, verse 21. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, the city has been struck down. So what, what, what's the significance here? Ezekiel has been preaching this for years. He's been telling the people this is going to happen. But no one's been listening, quite frankly. We've heard in chapter 13, there are false prophets amongst the exiles preaching, peace, peace, don't worry. We've heard about them whitewashing the walls, trying to divert from the disaster that's coming, peace, peace. And people are buying into this, so it's been a difficult time to be Ezekiel, it's been a difficult time to be God's man, standing in the breach for his people. So let's just briefly recap what Ezekiel's been up to, um, just to ground off from where we are. So... <clears throat> Five years into exile, being carried off by the Babylonians. There's Ezekiel, minding his own business, on the turn of his 30th birthday, no less, and he receives his first vision from God. You may remember who we talked about this. This is the wheeled throne chariot of God. And at that time, he is installed as prophet. And then what follows throughout the 
breadth of the book up to now, is a series of prophecies, pronouncements, and they're all talking about God's coming judgment on Jerusalem and the surrounding nations. And it's expressed in a number of ways that we've heard about. So we've had spoken word from Ezekiel. We've had street theater acting things out on the streets. We've had short stories. We've had parables like the ones that Chris talked about last week. And Ezekiel precisely dates all the events of his, of his book. So you've heard what I said in chapter 21. We've got the exact time. Twelfth year of our exile, tenth month, fifth day. And that lets us know that the fall of Jerusalem, when this finally happens, is seven years and six months to the day after his first visit. That's, that's a long time to be ignored, seven years. Um, but Ezekiel knew this. He wasn't surprised by this. God told him, warned him, this would be his job as God's prophet. I'm going to do a bit of hopping, skipping around Ezekiel. You don't need to go with me to every page, but if you want to, just keep Ezekiel 33 open. I may jump around, but I'll let you know where I'm going if you want to make a note or follow that. So as a reminder of the tough job before Ezekiel, chapter 3, verse 7, God says to him, The house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Seven years. Seven years. That is, that's a long time. That's actually that's longer than a secondary school education. Imagine starting your first day as a teacher and it's like, welcome to the school, it's great to have you, all the best. And uh, oh, by the way, no one's going to listen. Not a word. Have fun. Um, anyone who's a teacher might get a sympathy with that sentiment, but. This is not just a few students, not that guy who sits at the back and never listens. This is the whole class, the whole house of Israel. They will not listen. So a large chunk of Ezekiel's life's work, God's calling on his life, it's fallen on deaf ears. But he's not done yet. Ezekiel is unrelenting in his message, as we'll see. And he's unrelenting in his message to explain because God is unrelenting in his mercy. And we're going to work through the three sections of, of the passage, um, but we're not, with, not with just a series of points, but those two themes. They're the two hooks I want you to keep in your mind. Ezekiel's unrelenting message and God's unrelenting mercy. They're the two things that we're looking at, and they're the two things that are going to... I'll, I'll try and signpost them for you, but just keep those in your mind as we go through the rest of this chapter. We're getting into that passage now. So before the blockbuster moments of verse 21, which we'll come on to, we start by revisiting an earlier theme. And this is Ezekiel's role as the watchman. And again, this is, this is repetition. Ezekiel was installed as Israel's watchman back in chapter 3. That's when he first got given this title. And the role of the watchman, children, if you're in this, might be good to draw a picture of to get it in your, in your head. What is the watchman doing? Well, what he does on the edge of the city, he stands in the tallest tower and he just looks, looks over the horizon in every direction. And he has a big trumpet by his side. And if he sees the enemy coming or any sign of danger, picks up the trumpet and blows that trumpet to warn the city, warn the people. That's the job of the watchman. It's a very solemn duty and it's one that's given to Ezekiel. So what God tells Ezekiel is, if you do not deliver the warnings that I instruct, then when the wicked perish, their blood will be on your hands. So let's jump to um, chapter 3, verse 18, where that's where we're reminded of that. 
Here we have it. Verse 18. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked, but require at your hand. That sounds like pretty bad news for Ezekiel, but actually this role of watchman, it also brings a degree of comfort. It brings a limitation to his responsibilities. The man in the tower can only blow the trumpet. If the people milling about in the city or outside the city, if they pay no attention, that's actually their own business. The watchman has done his job. So too for Ezekiel. Verse 19 confirms that if the warning is delivered but not heeded, the wicked will perish, but Ezekiel will have delivered his soul. We'll have to prove that for again. Verse 19. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity but you will have delivered your soul. So that's the role of the watchman. Big job. Big job on Ezekiel's shoulders. And now we're here in chapter 33, and the fall of Jerusalem is looming. We've had 32 chapters of pronouncements and predictions that it's going to happen. It's at the door. It's, it's, it's about to happen. So this, at this point in time, God decides to remind Ezekiel of his, of his calling. And as it is, Ezekiel is about to enter a new phase of ministry <coughs> post fall of Jerusalem. And God reminds him of his calling. The first section of our passage this morning, verses 1 through 9, they pick up on all the same themes as chapter 3. It's restating, it's reaffirming what it means to be the watchman. But I'll, re I'll read again chapter, um, verses 7 through 9 for us and listen for the, the mirroring, the repetition. So you, son of man, I am your watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his ways, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. So why, why the repetition? Why do we have words that are almost identical in, here again in chapter 33? Well, God is recommissioning Ezekiel. He's refreshing his vigor for his role. He's restating what his purpose is. And we'll see that this recommissioning is, is much needed. Because as it is, the fall of Jerusalem doesn't mean job done for Ezekiel, pack up, go home. No, no. God has a lot more to say to his people, and Ezekiel will remain his man for the job. This message is unrelenting. It, it's not going to stop. Ezekiel is not done. So then moving to the, the, second, the, second, the second chunk of the, of the text here. This, in microcosm, is just another call from God through Ezekiel to Judah, or the house of Israel, as, as Ezekiel refers to them, to repent evil ways. So immediately before the fall of Jerusalem, and we could say here that Ezekiel knows this day is coming. He's been told in a prophecy when this is going to be. He knows we're at the end game. He knows where we are in the story. So immediately before the fall of Jerusalem, here's another rallying call from God, delivered through Ezekiel. And the key message of this whole, this whole piece is verse 11. So I'll read it again for us. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. 
turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Now, I suggested that the turning point for the story, the heart of the story, is verse 21. The city's falling down, you can't miss it. It's the big moment. If you're going to do a synopsis or in the trailer of this, you see the city's falling down, it's the big thing happening. That's where your eye gets drawn to. That's the heart of the story. But verse 11 is the heart of the message. This is what God is saying to the people throughout this whole book, throughout this whole chapter. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. That is the message. It's unrelenting, it keeps coming at you, but that is the message that God is preaching through Ezekiel. Let's just briefly recap. So the message keeps coming, but what is it? So if this is your first time looking into these things, I mean, so what God is saying to his people through the Bible, what it means to acknowledge God or be a Christian, or indeed if you've not been with us through this whole series on Ezekiel, what are these evil ways that Ezekiel is calling for repentance of? Well, back in chapter 8, we've been told that it's the idolatry of God's people. It's the installation of other things to focus their minds on, their hearts on, their desires on, besides God. Essentially, they're worshipping other things. They're worshipping things that aren't God. Whether that's the creation, bowing down to the sun and the moon and the stars, whether that's the false gods, the ones they've picked up from their neighbours. They turn their backs on God. Quite literally, actually, in chapter 8. And in essence, it's what the Bible calls sin. It's turning your back on God, rejecting God, choosing something else, choosing nothing else, but turning your back on God. And we, we commit the same sins. We turn our backs on God. This is a God who is worthy of our worship, and he has given his commands. There is one God, you will not bow down to other gods, I am your God. But we choose to worship other things. For you that might be, it might be the God of money, or the God of sex, or the God of family, whatever it is. Worship of these things. These are the evil ways that Ezekiel is pointing the finger at. That God is pointing the finger at through Ezekiel. These are the evil ways that are being spoken here. From which the message is, please turn back. Turn back. Now by this time, for the exiles who've been sat with this guy Ezekiel, five years in exile when he first gets, you know, gets his calling from God, this guy. And now 12 years, 12 years they've been sat with this guy going on and on. Doom and destruction. And we know, we know these people. God tells us about them. They have a stubborn heart. They don't want to hear it. They have a stubborn heart. So after all this time, they could well be sick of Ezekiel. Unrelenting messages. Unrelenting prophecies of doom. Unrelenting threats of punishment, destruction. Ezekiel is the fourth longest book of the entire Bible. We're in week eight, and we're not done either, so don't get any ideas. We're not done. Week eight, we're <coughs> all done. God has a lot to say for Ezekiel. This message is unrelenting. It keeps coming, it keeps coming. But the message is unrelenting. But what is equally unrelenting is God's offer of mercy. Mercy, mercy. He keeps offering it, he keeps offering it. Turn back. You're going astray, turn back. Your ways are evil, turn back. Why? Why does he bother? He, these people are stubborn. These people have a hard head, hard heart. Why, why does God bother? Why would he, Why does he bother with us? We're stubborn. We don't want to turn back. Well, the why is in verse 11. Because 
God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's a God of mercy. He wants the wicked to turn. He wants them to come to repentance. God's desire in chapter 33, in verse 11, is the same as it was at the start of the book of Ezekiel, and it's exactly the same as it will be even after Jerusalem has fallen. It's that Israel will turn back, turn back from your evil ways. And this isn't Turn back from your evil ways. Over the town. This, is like, this is like, turn back! Turn back from your evil ways! It's an impassioned plea. It's over and over again. God is emphatic. Ezekiel, say it again. They didn't hear you. Say it again. I'm going to give you another word. It's the same as the last one. Say it again. Please turn back. That is what's going on here. The turn back, the messaging is the same. We've heard it already. In chapter 18, it comes in a slightly different way. God says, same message, it's coming at you, it's coming again. Chapter 18, verse 32, God said, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. That is what God is, that's what God is all about. And this is the God of the Old Testament, remember. Let's not get confused. God didn't have a character transplant between the Old Testament and the New One. This is the God of the Old Testament. This is God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But it is the same God that we read about in the New Testament. Second Peter chapter 3 tells us, The Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's the mercy, unrelenting, again and again. I, don't, I want no one to perish. I want all to reach repentance. We'll come on to talk about the ways in which this mercy is still being shown to us today. But that's what's going on here. That's what's happening in chapter 18, chapter 33. That's what's happening in Ezekiel. God is crying out through Ezekiel for repentance, for an unrelenting message, because of his unrelenting mercy toward them. Okay, so, back in, so let's jump back into the action, back into chapter 33. Now, so we've had a reminder of Ezekiel's role as God's prophet, the watchman. We've had a reminder of the need to repent, to turn back from your evil ways. So now we're in the, third, in, the, in the third movement of our passage. And here's where the news arrives. And the news that Ezekiel has long been predicting. Finally, it's on the door. Verse 21. Read it again together. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said the city has been struck down now let's go back to our, our watchman this is just what Ezekiel's doing he's waiting, he's, he's watching out for Israel back to what it means to be a watchman in the traditional sense, so slightly metaphorical with Ezekiel what he's doing but thinking back to your man in the tower with his trumpet there's actually another, there's various ways which is picked up on in the, in the Old Testament. This is a real job that people had. And there's an example in um, 2 Samuel chapter 18, where King David is sitting between the, the forecourt, and then the watchman goes up to the tower and he says, David, David, blows the trumpet. There's a man coming. And the watchman knows, this is Watchman 101. He says, the man runs alone. There must be news in his mouth. That's what, it, that's what he knows this. This is what it means. Like, if there's like a delegation coming, or there's an army coming, that's bad news. Or if there's a, a party of offering coming, there'll be you know, a few guys. A man on his own, that's a runner, that's 
a messenger. You know, the man comes alone, you bring the news. So here, this, here comes this guy, this fugitive, singular. And, you know, people have envisaged what it's going to look like for Ezekiel. He sat there in his, in his camp by the, maybe by the canal where he had his first message. And this guy is escaped by the, by the skin of his teeth from Jerusalem. The city's in ruins. This guy's like dusty clothes, like in an action film, got a bandage around his head, got blood dripping down his side. He's barely made it out alive. And this guy stumbles through, makes his way to Ezekiel and says, the city has been struck down. And it's kind of, you can think about what that's going to do to Ezekiel. There's this mixture of relief and yes, God is true, what I've been saying is right. But at the same time, great sorrow that it's finally happened. It's a peace. If you think about what that might feel like, so if I, if I say to one of my children, please don't run on the cobbles. If you keep running on the cobbles, you're going to fall over. And when that happens, you're going to cut your knee and you're going to cry. And I'm going to be the one to pick it up. When that happens, there's, I'm not really like, oh, yes, prediction in. Well done, Dad. You cut your knee. There you go. No, no, no. There's still sadness. There's still sadness. The little ones hurt their knee. So Ezekiel's in this really strange place where his predictions come true. It's not one that he's, it's, it's full of sorrow that it comes true. Um, but, it, but it's happened. It's finally happened. The word of the Lord has come to fruition. So Jerusalem has been destroyed. This is the, this is the, this is the main place in, in Judah. This is their stronghold. God describes it as such in chapter 24 when he predicts his downfall. He calls the city the people's stronghold, their joy and their glory. All of those things, gone. Pile of rubble. It's been destroyed. And in terms of framing that for us, I mean, key battles have often centered around symbolic or strategic cities throughout history. Uh, one example being the Battle of Stalingrad in the winter of 1942. This was the outcome here was different. Um, the city was successfully defended against an invading army, but it was considered by many. If you look back at the, the writings and the journals of the, the generals that were involved at the time, this this was the turning point of the war. If what well, Stalingrad had fallen, we have been toast. That is the big that's the big thing. That's that's a big point for us. That's a big this is a big focal point of what we do. Well, consider another battle from Israel's past, the battle between the Israelites and the Philistines. Here, rather than a city, it's a man who's the turning point. So, plucky upstart David, foot soldier, not even foot soldier, lunch boy of the foot soldiers. <laughs> David defeats Goliath, the, the prize fighter of the Philistines. First round knockout, absolutely one-sided. And you can read about the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. But there's a great line in there which says, And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. They've outnumbered the Israelites. They've got the advantage, they're, they're bigger, they're stronger, seemingly, they've got bigger weapons. But when they saw that their champion was dead, they were out. They fled. Turning point. Or maybe more topically, if history is not your thing, when the West Indies cricket team go out to bat, they walk out into the middle, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. And star man, Chris Gale, sat over his shoulder, looking cool as always. He's leading the line. As long as we've got big Chris, yeah, we're in this. We can win this. But then, disaster. 
finally gets home with his wheat. At the back there, he's caught. Zero points. Nothing. He's got them nothing. And you can see around the pit on the, in, the, in the pavilion on the pitch, the shoulders collected and slumped. So with their championing crime, the team slides to an almost inevitable defeat. Stalingrad, Goliath, Khrushchev. That well-known combination <laughs> of preaching. Um, but these are all pivotal moments, pivotal moments. And the fall of Jerusalem, the stronghold, is, is, is just as pivotal. Let's not, we shouldn't lose that. I know that the heart of the message is what God is calling for, but for Ezekiel, this is this is big stuff. And for the people, for the people who are living in Jerusalem, certainly this is a big development. The people who are still in the rest of Judah, this is a big development. Their their glory is gone. And when this news gets around the exile camp, this is a big development for everyone. But Jerusalem has been destroyed, and the false hopes that everything might just be okay, they're now finally dashed. The false prophet's message of peace, peace, doesn't have a leg to stand on. Jerusalem's fallen. So now, surely now, the people, come on people, they'll be full of repentance. They'll be ready to turn back to God. This unrelenting message has been heard, hit home, landed on the mark, on the chin. And now the people are ready to throw themselves upon the unrelenting mercy of God. Well, you think so. But, but no. Go in that in that final section. We hear about two groups, two distinct groups that God asked Ezekiel to speak to, and we'll look at them in turn. So the first are those who are still living in the conquered Israel, the inhabitants of these waste places. Not very good. Not very good on TripAdvisor. Good place to be. That's where they are. And these people, I'm going to call the optimists. Look at verse 24. Son of man, the inhabitants of these waste places in the land of Israel, they keep saying, Abraham was only one man, yet he got possession of the land, but we are many. The land is surely given to us to possess. We will, we will rebuild. Don't worry. This wall will get it up in no time. It's fine. This is Jerusalem. God's given us this land. The land was given to Abraham, the land was given to us. <coughs> is our land. Does it sound like repentance? Is there any repentance here? But, but there isn't. There's no repentance. There's no repentance of the evil deeds catalogued through Ezekiel's message so far. But all there is is a reliance, a sad reliance on their own heritage. Remember, these are the Israelites thinking about what happened in the, in the exile. A select group Seemingly, the high, the, the top knobs of society were carried off by the Babylonians, Ezekiel included. The king and his lot were carried off into exile. So these are the Israelites who were not carried off into exile; they were left behind. But here they might start falsely thinking themselves somehow better than the worst culprits. Oh, those guys! Yeah, they were the real bad ones. They're the ones who've been taken off into exile. They're being punished by God. We're, 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 we're the true blood. This is our land. We'll be fine. Well, God assures these optimists that without true repentance, they will not possess the land. Shall you, possess, shall you then possess the land, God says? The answer is no. Your idolatry will not be ignored. You must repent. 
and then that we have those really severe and harsh and scary sounding words. But God's judgment will continue without repentance. Yeah, the walls have fallen down, but it's going to get worse. God's, God's judgment will continue and continue until the land becomes a desolation that none will pass through. Again, this is the message of unrelenting. You must repent, you must turn back. How about you this morning? You're a bit like one of these optimists, not really appreciating the severity of your sins and your need to repent. Relying on your heritage, being one of the good guys, at least better than that guy. You're a Christian. God knows me. The land is, the land is mine. These benefits of God, they're mine. Well, what is Ezekiel saying to these listeners here and what God's saying to us? You might not be feeling the same effects of your sin right now. That guy, he, he's in exile. Look at that guy. Whoa, he's all over the show. So you might not be feeling the, same, feeling the same effects of your sin right now. But Ezekiel is clear that everyone has an individual responsibility to repent of their own sin. When the trumpet sounds, it's not, this is the trumpet for the guy in aisle seven. No, it's, it's the trumpet, it's just sounded. You need to repent. <laughs> We all have an individual responsibility. So in other words, you might not be the one who's in exile, but, but are you living in ruins? Is, is that where you are? You might be one or the other, but it, you can't ignore the unrelenting message that Ezekiel brings. So how about the second group? Ezekiel's people. I'm going to call them the comfortable exiles. Strange thing as it is. Are they, are they faring any better? Well, no. These guys, they've gotten into the habit of listening to Ezekiel. That sounds good. Great, they're listening to the prophet. Finally, it's about time. His predictions have come true to this guy. Yes, I know. I'm, I'm starting to come around to this guy. He's been saying all this weird stuff, lying on the floor, tied up on the ground. I don't know what that was about. But he said the city was going to fall, and it's fallen. This guy knows his stuff. So they start listening. But God explains to Ezekiel, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. They're coming down in front of you. And they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Verse 31. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but, and great printing work here for the cliffhanger on the end of page 71 of the Church Bibles, but they will not do it. They won't. They'll hear it. They won't do it. This is the, 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 what's the hearing? They're hearing the message. The message is repent. Please turn back. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. But they won't do it. They, they, you know, there's not a lot to do in the exile camp. They're not having a great time. They haven't got cinema. Ezekiel's pretty good value, this guy. He's saying all this stuff. We come along and we listen to him. And in, in many ways, God goes on to explain where these people are at. Yeah, this guy, he's like, he's the equivalent of a rock star among the exiles. He sings with a beautiful voice. He plays the guitar really nicely. We come along and have a good listen. Let's let, come on, come on, let's go. Ezekiel's starting up. Let's go and have a listen. But, but they're not listening. The problem is, the people are hearing, but they're not doing. They haven't learned to repent. And these comfortable exiles, exactly what's happened. They've grown comfortable in their exile. And that's, that's just not right. Are you, 
you're perhaps a bit more like this. You're happy to come along to church. You're happy to listen to a sermon from whoever the person is that God has sent to you, be that that's me, if that's Chris, or that's Kruger. And you're happy to talk about it afterwards as well. Say to a friend, oh, what do you think of the sermon? Oh, it's really good, actually. Yeah, very good stuff. But God's saying, what are you going to do about it? What, what, what are you going to do with that message? Are you going to hear what is said? Are you going to do it? Or have you not learned to take action yet? You're comfortable in your exile. You're happy to listen, you're happy to hear, but you haven't learned to repent. A challenging word to me, but in one degree or another, we're in one of these camps. There's not a third camp here. There's not a third group of people. These are the two. So how's, let's bring this back to us for today. How is this relevant for us today? What I'm suggesting is that Ezekiel's persistence, the unrelenting message, turn back, turn back, again and again, every chapter, turn back, turn back. God says, here's the message again, give it to them again, they didn't get it, say it again. That unrelenting message is evidence of God's unrelenting mercy. The offer still stands, it still stands. Please turn back. I'm waiting to accept your open arms. So how do we know that God is pursuing us with the same unrelenting mercy? God's pursuing us in the same way as he pursued his people in Ezekiel. Well, Ezekiel was the man sent to God's people. And Jesus is the man who's been sent to us. This is, in essence, the grand sweeping story of the Bible. God's people rebelled, turned their back on God, served their idols, turn away from God, and God pursues them in his mercy. He said it's the same God, Old Testament, New Testament. This is the story. He's pursuing the people. Please turn back, turn back. The trumpet is sounding. He's put a watchman in the tower for you. Turn back. This message, it keeps coming. Please turn back. I'm here ready to receive you. I'm here ready to take your repentance, forgive your evil ways, and save you. Turn to me and live. That's the message. And Jesus paints this picture for us. I'm going to flick to uh, Luke chapter 20 now. And listen, listen to this and how Jesus paints that picture for us of God's persistence in his message. So Luke 20 is on page 879 of the Church Bibles. And I'm going to read to us from um, chapter 20, verse 9 through to 16. And he, Jesus, began to tell the people this parable. <coughs> a man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, Root him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard. So in this parable, it's 
God's prophets who are the servants. So servant one, servant two, servant three. You can call them Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, others. These are the people that God's sending. In the vineyard, things are going badly in the vineyard. I'm going to send you a messenger. They're sent as God's messengers, and like Ezekiel, seven and a half years, they're ignored. They're turned away. No thanks, not today. On you go. Not, not for me. And it gets worse and worse and worse, and things escalate, and the treatment of the servants in the parable gets worse and worse. First, it's like a rude shifting, and then it's a beating around their face and thrown out the door. It's, get, it's getting worse. So, what does what does God what does what does the vineyard owner do, and what does God do? He persists. He's unrelenting. He keeps going and going. Here's another messenger, another messenger, and then finally. God keeps pursuing his people and ultimately resolves to send his own son. Like the vineyard owner, my beloved son is the one that he sends. And this son, this is the son that they kill. They throw him outside the vineyard and they kill him. The one they were supposed to respond to. They were supposed to respond to the unrelenting message of God. But they kill him. Same, same as Jesus. God's unrelenting message turn back from your evil ways, come to me here is my offer, my offer of mercy still stands you you neglected and ignored my prophets here is my son Jesus was thrown outside the city taken up a hill and killed and again killed by those that he came to save when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes the punishment for our sin for all our evil ways, the evil ways we've spoken about the bowing down to the idols money, sex, family, whatever it is you're turning your back on and going God for. Those are the evil ways that Jesus came to cover. So because of that, if we repent, we turn to him, we need not face the same judgment and destruction that Jerusalem did. That's amazing. That the destruction is catalogued in a very real and scary sense. You saw it in, in that middle section. We've got the sword, we've got the beasts of the land, we've got pestilence, all these dread, dreadful things are befalling those who turn their backs on God. But here God is saying, trust in Jesus, and that punishment I will put on him. No sword, no beast, no pestilence for you. That punishment falls on Jesus. That is what that is the climax of the unrelenting message. And that is the climax of God's mercy being offered to us. That, that punishment, that, that destruction, God takes it from us and puts it on his son. So we need to turn to Jesus. Turn back, turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. And turn to God. Turn to Jesus. But what does that mean? What does that mean to turn to Jesus? Livings, don't be like the optimists. Don't be like them. Recognize the severity of your sin. Recognize the ways in which you turned away from God. Recognize your need to repent and turn back to Him. And don't be like the comfortable exiles, coming for the show, but doing nothing in response. Don't be one of those who hears the word but will not do it. Turn back. And if you're hearing these things for the first time, and you're beginning to see perhaps that the things you're worshipping things in your life that you've geared your life towards that are not God's, then they're not providing the security you hope for. Like Jerusalem, you put your faith in these bricks and mortar, 
And like the walls of Jerusalem, they're, they're crumbling. You can whitewash them like the false prophets, patch up the walls, but they're crumbling. And what God is saying here is if you keep trusting me, you too will end up in ruin. The city will not stand. Well, for you, the good message, the good message here this morning, the good news is that the offer still stands. God's offer of mercy still stands. Because of Jesus dying on the cross to pay for your sin, turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. Turn back from your sin, repent, and turn to God. That is the offer that is made available through Jesus. And if that part sounds like a dramatic transformation, it is. It is. Am I capable? I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can turn back in this way you're talking about. But it's, it's God who does it. It's God who does this. It's not all on you. It's not all about your strength of will. Earlier in the book of Ezekiel, God promises his people, <coughs> I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. God does this in our hearts. He enables us to see our sin and turn to him. So pray to God. Acknowledge your sin and ask him to give you his heart of flesh. Ask him to help you repent and trust in his son. We each have an individual responsibility to do this, as Ezekiel has told us. Remember the watchman, remember the trumpet. The trumpet is, sound, is sounding and it's, it's for you, as an individual. We are individually responsible for how to respond. This unrelenting message is, being, is coming at you, it's not going away, it's going to keep coming at you. Because God's mercy is unrelenting, but it is up to you how you Ezekiel was God's messenger to the people in the of Israel, calling for repentance with an unrelenting message. And in his unrelenting mercy, God has sent Jesus to do just the same for us. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Lord, I thank you so much for your, your word. I thank you for the truth that is in it. I thank you, God, that you are the God of the Old and the New Testament, that you are not for changing. You seek after us. You are unrelenting in the pursuit of your children. We have sinned. We have turned against you. Do not serve as we should. But you, God, in your mercy, you, you chase after us. You send us messages. Send us your son. Call us back to you. Thank God. Turn back. Lord, I pray as we these words sink into our hearts, Lord, that we would be convicted of our sin. That we would we would turn back. People would be hearing your word. Maybe even for the first time thinking to turn back from what they're doing. Turn to you instead. And I thank you, God, that you give us the heart to do this. You will place in our in our heart. You give us the heart of flesh to do this. Your great mercy shown to us through your unrelenting message, through the death of your son on the cross. In Jesus' name, Amen.